welcome to Wands and Fronds, the weekly podcast where we cover magic, herbalism, and more. I'm Shannon. And I'm Nick. And we're your co-hosts. So tis the season to be spooky bitches. So of course I'm talking about a spooky plant, wormwood. Because wormwood just screams spooky to me. Like maybe it's because of Nightmare Before Christmas, but like it feels like a spooky plant. I, I agree. It's also the name is spooky wormwood. Like that's that literally sounds like a potion ingredient. Yeah, it's like you have to put that in your cauldron. <laughs> you you do you do. It's like sorry, but that's just those are the rules. I don't make the rules. Yeah, I don't. we're just telling you guys the rules. <laughs> Which uh, you know is something people with Burdo influence are very good at. So I'm talking this week, you guys, about ghosts. Woo! And that and that's really it because it ended up being um a pretty hefty topic. Surprise, yeah. surprise surprising, surprising absolutely no one. Ghosts. There's a lot of information on our beloved internet about ghosts and different ghost yeah. stories. So And I would say that we're ghost enthusiasts. I would I would absolutely say that we are ghost enthusiasts. Um, actually, and I'm going to talk about this in the segment. So you know what? Never mind. Shannon, when did you feel the magic this week? Okay. Well, while I adjust my mic real quick, I so this week was really this last week was very interesting for me because I had Wednesday off at work, which. Um, because it was Yom Kippur. So at my job, we alternate. Apparently, every other year we get Yom Kippur or Rosh Hashanah off. So I had a Wednesday off in the middle of the week, which is like unusual for me. But one of the things that I did last week that just felt so good and so witchy is I planted my bulbs because it's the season for planting bulbs. And guys, I cannot wait because I got black tulips, blood red lilies, and Narcissus. So I was just like building my witchy goth bulb garden and it felt so good. And there's also something I think in the fall in particular that feels really like magical and grounding about planting bulbs because it's like you're planting something that you're not going to see for months. And it does feel like this really beautiful manifestation moment. I, I do love that. It's almost like... um well, I, I mean, this is maybe like a very, very specific thing to me, but you know, it's like when you get the little moth cocoons on your patio and yeah. you just gotta, and you just gotta wait all fall and winter and for yeah, those little guys, to wait. for those little guys to come out and it's the waiting that's powerful. Yeah. I think especially because you and I both have so much fire in our chart, it's like waiting is powerful for us because it's fucking work. <laughs> right, right. We're um, not a naturally patient people. So I I would say this week, I, okay, so there's a couple, but they're all kind of related to this, the camping trip I went on. Which so, looked beautiful, by the way. So yes, it was beautiful. It was a really fun time. And, you know, we had tried to schedule it out to where it was around the equinox, you know, like work being work. And and all of that. It's like it ended we're, up being which is who work, as we've said a million times. Uh, yeah, as we said a million times. So it ended up being the weekend after the equinox. Like sue me, okay. 
But okay, so we we had campfires. There's always something witchy about having a campfire, but especially if you're out in the piney woods, like uh-huh. we don't we don't get that in this part of Texas. So just like chef's kiss. So out in the piney woods, um, I would say the smell of pine mm. absolutely like uplifted my soul and um was really doing nice things for me and also we went to a rock shop and like y'all know I am not I'm not a crystal witch I've got my little pocket stones that I fuck around with but like you know that's just really not my practice my style but we went to the rock shop and also weird for Texas this dude had massive weed plants growing behind the rock shop casual very casual very casual um but so I did end up buying for a little too much money uh this giant piece of petrified wood Ooh, petrified wood is good and I remember I used to have that giant piece of crystallized petrified wood yeah um and so I I have not had that for a while but I had this piece of petrified wood in my hand and it's actually cut in half um so you can see the inside you know what I'm just gonna go grab it yeah I'm, I'm like just show and tell it we're gonna show and tell this because it is my when I felt the magic this week so one moment uno momento. yeah I mean while Nick does that I can talk about the other magic moment I had because um you guys know we love Shannon who makes amazing jewelry on here and I finally was able to like get a custom piece from her so I like got to talk to her about like Labradorite and she came up with the most like beautiful ring that I cannot wait to get and show you guys and like there was also something just like so beautiful and magical about getting to work on like jewelry with someone so Hacks and Wolf we've said it a billion times but check it out okay I'm back Um, so this is her. That's the bark side. Oh my god. Doesn't that doesn't that just I mean you it's like you can really just like see the tree bark and it's yeah. such a nice texture. But just wait, wait for the big reveal. If I turn it around, <gasps> it's cut in half. So it's like so smooth right here. That's beautiful. So yeah, I mean, what am I actually going to do with this piece of petrified wood? God knows, but it's going to be on my little altar table. Um, and I I mean, I think that's enough of what you have to do with it. Like, I think I think you know that's it. And I just love this, like, like being able to see the wood grain. And this is like tens of thousands of years old. You know, like. A woolly mammoth tried to eat this tree or some shit. Yeah, I love it. I love so, it. So, love her. Um, okay. But yeah, we, we have to get have into this. A, we gotta get into this. This episode's gonna be long. So, you're welcome to everyone out there that does have an hour and a half long commute. Um, you know, and, and for those of you who don't, I this one's probably gonna be one that you take in a couple of bits. And that's fine. You'll have fun. So wormwood, guys. Wormwood is like, again, it's one of those plants that she feels like a spook queen. I'm here for it. 
It has also been a minute, though, since we talked about an absinthe ingredient. Because remember, we were on a roll there for a minute where, like, it felt like every herb for a few weeks was part of absinthe, and that was accidental. But here we are talking about, like, one of the backbone ingredients to absinthe. And we have to talk about absinthe later. I'm going to nerd out. Don't worry. But it's Artemisia absinthium. It's also called wormwood, absinthe wormwood. Sometimes mugwort, though, which is not to be confused with the mugwort that we've talked about before. They're both in the Artemisia genus, but they are not the same plant. Um, so wormwood is native to the temperate parts of Europe and Asia, otherwise known as Eurasia. But it has been naturalized in North America, like in the U.S. and in Canada. Of course, Artemisia, the name, comes from the patron goddess of wands and fronds, Artemis herself. And in the first uh, century AD, our friend Pliny talked about its use as an antithelaminic or a plant that can help expel parasitic worms, which is where some people think the wormwood name comes from. Although I do have to say that it is considered like etymologically unclear because they're like it could also come from like an old English word like vermwood or wormwood. It's like, but I think the idea that it comes from the fact that it helps expel worms feels logical so that's like the story that I think is true in my heart <laughs> so it is an herbaceous perennial with fibrous roots so it can get up to three feet tall it has a like kind of deeply grooved branching silvery green stem and the leaves are arranged in spirals and the underside is covered with silvery white trichomes and like the top is kind of silvery green but the bottom is covered in trichomes. It's really like a beautiful plant. And the leaves on the stem are like smaller ones. They're only two to four inches long, but the basil leaves can get up to 10 inches long. And it has like really long petioles. They're, they're really pretty plants. But when you look at it, you can tell it's related to mugwort, which I think is always, it's fun once you start getting into plants, guys, and you can find the relatives. It has pale yellow flowers they're kind of tubular and they have bent heads and they flower in early summer well in early summer all the way to early autumn so they flower for a long time and with those like bent heads they disperse their seeds through gravity which is beautiful they can be grown pretty easily which is always good news as long as it has bright sun but it does really well in soil that's rich in nitrogen so if you like rotate beds and you've had like legumes things like peas, beans, even oats in a bed for a while, and you're kind of rotating them out, you could put the wormwood in there, but it's not a particularly good companion plant. It's going to be like your wormwood is going to have stunted growth if you try to plant it with other things, which is why I'm like, if you're going to rotate something out, give it the bed. But they do enjoy pretty dry soil, which I always think is a good like a really great attribute in a plant because we should all be conserving water more. But I would be remiss uh, if I didn't add that it's considered an invasive species in the U.S. So be careful. Maybe only give it that garden bed if you really never want it back again. Because the way the seeds like disperse through gravity is it sounds like it would be really contained. But guys, remember, there's things like wind and like little critters that move those seeds around. So even though you're planting it in one place, it's not going to stay put. So just be aware, be prepared, as they say in Lion King. 
So you can harvest it twice a year, first in the late spring, and then again, once it's in full bloom. And you're going to kind of decide when to harvest it based on what you're wanting to use it for. So around September, like when it's really in full bloom, that's when the largest amount of bitter compounds are present. So if you're using it as a bitter for things like digestive health, September is going to be when you want to go. But it's essential oils peak in June and July. I think June and July harvest is probably better for magical uses because a lot of the magical uses are related to burning it. And you're going to want more of those essential oils. So for witchy shit, do it in the summer. For medicinal shit, do it in September. I feel like that's a pretty easy rule of thumb to remember. The leaves like do start to deteriorate in quality too once they start to bloom. So you want to get them when they're in full bloom, not when they're going to seed. That's pretty common like across plants. Most plants, once they're starting to like lose their blooms and they're going to seed, the leaves aren't going to be as potent. It's why even like cilantro and stuff, that that's why they have slow bolting cilantro, right? Because once a plant goes to seed, it loses a lot of its like leaf quality. The other great thing about it though, because it's so invasive, is you can harvest it at like by cutting it off at the base and harvest like the entire plant. Which again, if it's like spreading around your garden and you're trying to keep it under control, just cutting the full plant is a good thing to do. Uh, it does need to be dried at room temp though, which I think is really, really important. So you bitches that have those dehydrators and things, like be careful. The essential oils start breaking down at like 95 degrees. So you really want to be careful. At 95 degrees Fahrenheit is 35 degrees Celsius for the rest of the world. That's not America. So dry it at room temp. But once it's dried, the bitter compounds are relatively stable as long as you store it appropriately, Right dark containers. You don't want to store it in a clear container in the sunlight. Put it in a cabinet. Keep it dry. I did want to add for Nick, the plant and the cultivars, Lambrook Mist and Lambrook Silver, have the Royal Horticultural Society's Award of Garden Merit. Oh, good. I know that it's very important to you that we only discuss plants that the queen approves of. Well, I guess now the king, which, ugh, anyway. Yeah, I, it's, it's so much less cool. Yeah, kings it's are so less much cool less cool, which is why I really, just as a quick aside, am all about Queen Marguerite of Denmark. As yes. like, um, she smokes a lot of cigarettes, she makes her own raincoats out of tablecloths, and she's like six feet tall. We so stand, we stand, we do stand. So, of course, historically, it's been used in things like absinthe, but other spirits too, like wine bitters, vermouth, basically anything that can go in an aperitif, wormwood's probably been used in. They used it to spice meat in the Middle Ages. And in Morocco, there's a tea called Sheba, where they still use wormwood. And in 18th century England, sometimes they would actually replace the hops in beer with wormwood because it does have that bitter edge. I also loved knowing if you have chickens, first of all, I'm jealous because I can't wait until I live somewhere where I can have chickens, but you can add wormwood clippings to their nesting boxes and it helps repel lice and fleas. They also say if you have a dog that's not going to like rip into it, you can put it in like a cloth bag in like a doghouse or areas outside where your dogs spend a lot of time to help repel fleas, which I think is always super helpful. Also, it has a really cool literary history. 
so in the in the bible the book of revelation actually has this story about a star named wormwood that crashes into the earth and turns a third of the rivers and fountains of water bitter just a third for some reason that feels oddly specific to me but the old testament refers to wormwood a few times like basically it represents a curse like that bitter side which i think is probably also how it ends up being associated at least for some people with witches right anything that the bible thinks is a curse is actually probably pretty dope uh in romeo and juliet it's also referred to right so in the first act juliet's uh childhood nurse talks about weaning juliet and she says for i had then laid wormwood to my dug which it refers to this kind of weird practice of like basically rubbing your nipples with wormwood to make them bitter. And I'm like, you're Doug. I would not. Oh, that's not cute. That's, I also, I just think it's so weird that rich people used to just like have someone else breastfeed their children. It's so weird. Rich people things are very bizarre. Like, and, you um, know, like, I guess back then, like, that was, you know, like, paying people to do weird shit for you was, like, pretty much all you could do if you were rich. Yeah, I guess so. So we also, I mean, I'm sure so many people know about John Locke. So he wrote this book, uh, an essay concerning human understanding in 1689. And in that book, he wrote, for a child knows as certainly before it can speak the difference between the ideas of sweet and bitter, i.e. that sweet is not bitter, as it knows afterwards when it comes to speak that wormwood and sugar plums are not the same thing. Gives kids a lot of weird credit. So let's talk about medicinal uses. Disclaimer, disclaimer, disclaimer. I'm not a doctor. Nick's not a doctor. This podcast is not intended to treat or diagnose anything. Please always talk to your medical care professionals before starting an herbal regimen. So herbalist has been using this plant though for centuries. The earliest documentation we have of therapeutic uses comes from Egypt in the Ebers papyrus, which is from the 16th century BCE. So it's been around for a minute. Pliny the Elder described, and I shit you not, 48 preparations of wormwood for things like nausea, reducing flagellants, strengthening the stomach, and mitigating scorpion bites. <laughs> so, but the poison thing isn't like, I guess, entirely out of left field because Dioscorides also described using it for poisoning for things like mushrooms, hemlock, and shrew bites, which I didn't realize was a concern at one point. Apparently, shrew bites used to be a problem. Well, and thank, have a, thank goodness we have a remedy. Right. You know, I think that's something we've been hearing concerns from our listeners about shrew bites. There have actually though been some recent studies that show that a wormwood extract can pretty significantly inhibit like the inflammation caused by snake venom. I wouldn't test it if you can avoid it, uh, but they are using it to potentially like develop anti-venoms, which I think is great because there are some places in the world where anti-venoms not readily available, but something like wormwood could be grown. So, you know, that's something. But overall, like the most common use you'll see over and over and over in modern use is for digestion. So it's one of the main bitters we use in Western herbalism, and it's for the entire digestive tract. So um, it's sesquiterpene lactone dimers. 
uh, like absinthin, which is in wormwood, they're literally one of like the most bitter compounds that exist, like that we currently know of. So it's sesquiterpene lactone dimers. The bitter taste with something like wormwood, I mean, any other digestive bitters, really, they trigger a response in your mouth that sends a message to your gut to release digestive juices. So like, if you think about when you eat something bitter and it makes your mouth water, it's like already starting in your mouth. That's why like so many aperitifs are bitters, right? Like it gets your tummy ready to go. If you're someone who gets really bad indigestion, maybe try having a bitter before you eat because that can help get the digestive start, like your digestion kick started basically. They're also like wormwood in particular is really good for digestive tract imbalance. And they've been doing some studies too on post-op Crohn's patients to help prevent like recurrence of Crohn's. Crohn's operations are like really traumatic. They actually will re like remove tracts of your intestine, like big lengths of it. So having something that's going to help prevent recurrence of Crohn's is really, really important. And I love that there's more research going into things like wormwood now. But you might be wondering, Shannon, why would you be talking about taking a plant that is one of the backbones to absinthe, which, as we know, caused absinthism? It causes things like blindness, hallucinations, overall mental deterioration. There's a reason they called like the popularity of absinthe uh, an epidemic at one point, and it was banned. We know that. But here we get to be a little bit nuanced, and I love this shit, so bear with me. But for a really long time, they thought that toxic levels of uh, thuhone were what caused absinthism. Um, thuhone is obviously like in wormwood. And so like <clears throat> that was what they were like blaming it on. And you'll see that repeated a lot of times in herbal literature. And it's one of those things where sometimes something gets written down and then people just accept it as fact and forever and ever and ever. It just keeps getting like repeated as if that's just the truth of things. But... <laughs> For like, now we know severe intoxications, of course, have been reported in humans who consume wormwood oil, although deaths are incredibly rare. Like there have only been a handful of deaths from people consuming, consuming wormwood oil. But a lot of current evidence suggests that the thuhone concentration and in both pre-ban and modern absinthe are extremely like that the concentrations are very 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 unlikely to cause negative health effects other than those that are like commonly caused by alcoholism overall so one of the things that we can draw from the 19th century studies is that wormwood oil not absinthe can instigate seizures but something that i think is coming out more and more recently and this is super important to keep in mind is that the popularity of absinthe led to like a flooding of, in the market of cheap adulterated absinthe knockoffs right we see this time and time again something gets popular and suddenly like you know places like sheen are releasing versions of it it's like don't get your absinthe from something like sheen but these adulterated versions had really rough ingredients, including things like industrial alcohol mixed with copper and antimony. And when you combine copper with alcohol, your body just like sucks that copper up, which of course can cause some really horrific side effects. So, well, I wanted to hop in here and say that a lot of what you're talking about does ring true for um moonshine poisoning as well yeah 
And so two things there, um, because that distillation process can produce a lot of ethanol, which is what causes the blindness, not like the alcohol that's safer to drink. Um, and they would use like these copper and metal bathtub stills. So. Yeah. You have to be careful with copper and booze. Like just keep an eye on it. But again, it's one of those things where you just like the history of things that get really like, th like get these horrible reputations are often much more nuanced than we give them credit for, especially when there's like overall bands of things. And absinthe is very much one of those. So just like, just know that all of the hysteria around absinthism was like almost certainly caused by like really bad knockoff shit that was hitting the markets. Don't be scared of the green fairy. So uh, leave Wormwood alone, essentially. But this has gone on for a bit. So like, I want to talk about some magic here at the end. Commonly, you'll see it used in incense blends, which is why I mentioned if you want to use it for magic, harvest it in June and July. And I love the idea of using it for things like cleansing or uncrossing, right? It's got those like herbal medicinal uses for things like deworming, anti-poison, that to me really speaks to a plant that's going to be good at like curse breaking, doing like an intense cleansing. If you feel like you've got some negative energies attached to you. Also, if you overall just want to like cleanse your space, I think mugwort could be added to a great bundle with some like garden sage and maybe rosemary. And it's also going to smell excellent, which I love. It's also associated with heightening your psychic powers when you think about its use in things like absinthe and the association with the green fairy. That makes sense. So I think if you're wanting to use it in a cleansing bundle, like especially around the areas where you do magical practice, that makes sense, right? You always want to pull in additional psychic powers when you're going to be doing magic. Of course, plants in the Artemisia genus excellent for Artemis or Diana offerings. Like we love Artemis, we stand, leave out some wormwood for her. But the tie-in here to ghosts, it is said that burning wormwood in a graveyard can help you, <clears throat> excuse me, can help you summon the spirit of the dead. So I love the idea too of like throwing some wormwood into a Samhain bonfire, right? Like using it to it really help summon the like spirits of your family, leaving it on offerings to like ancestor altars, using it to make incense blends that you use at your Samhain dinner. If you do one of those silent dinners for Samhain, which obviously I have too much Leo in my chart to ever do a silent dinner. But if you're one of the people that does, you could burn some mugwort incense, like mugwort and uh, wormwood incense blends on the table to help like call your loved ones to dinner. So I, I love it. I love it for Samhain, which I think help, helps add to the spookiness. So, you know, harvest it in the early summer, dry it out, save it for your Samhain incense blends. There you go. So my sources today were uh, the Herbarium, Wikipedia, DreamingGoddess.com, MotherEarthLiving.com, and my beautiful, wonderful brain. So love, love, love. Also, do you remember when they made absinthe legal again, and we got shit faced on absinthe for like an entire summer? 
Yeah, I was like, we had an absinthe summer. That was also the year that like Teenage Dream came out. So we had that mm-hmm. cotton candy scented Katy Perry album and we would like put that on and like paint while we got fucked up on absinthe. That was the time. I still have some of those paintings too. Oh, I do too. I have your um cherry blossom tree painting. Oh, yeah, incredible. Incredible. We're we're so good at art. Um <laughs> Uh, we're magical beings anyway but okay you guys ghosts this is gonna be a long one so buckle up uh you know this would be a great time to take a bathroom break um you know go to work and listen to this one on your way home (laughs) or if you're if you're at home light up a joint and chill while we talk about ghosts light up a joint and chill while we talk about ghosts so right off the bat i want to say have not done the segment on ghosts yet we've been hitting all around it um, so thank the gods for a well-organized Google Doc that made this all possible. Um, really, the Google Doc is a little piece of magic in and of itself. Um, yeah. But secondly, it is the second week of October as of the time of this recording, and I could not be feeling the spooks more. Um, I know. It's, it's literally getting chilly at night. I noticed the other day leaves falling to the ground off of a tree um yeah we had a crunchy walk with willow this morning because there were leaves underfoot we have officially pulled back out our pink velvet bedspread like you can see we got the pink velvet back out which happens once it cools down like the spookiness is in the air the spookiness is in the air so i thought a nice way to gently ease into this topic would be to share um, sort of any personal experiences that we've had with ghosts as sort of a light appetizer. Because let's be honest, the world is inconceivably old. And that means that everywhere that can be haunted probably is already. Um, and I'll also add, especially apartment buildings, because the way they're used is a lot different from the way that houses that people buy are used. Um, yeah, apartments are like, literally just liminal spaces truly um and they also do not have to disclose if literally even the last person that lived in your apartment died there like they don't have to tell you yeah which um always has made me a a little bit nervous as a renter (laughs) indeed um which uh which brings me to my little ghost story that i wanted to tell um, and actually, before that, I do want to say, um, according to math, my mom denies this, by the way. My mom absolutely denies this. But according to math, I was conceived around July 4th, 1990. And it just so happens that July 4th weekend, 1990, my parents, Tim and Karen, um, were on a romantic weekend in Austin, Texas. Now, where do you think they were staying that that weekend? Oh God, what's the name of that haunted hotel? The Driscoll. The Driscoll. Um, were they staying at the Driscoll? They were staying at the Driscoll. Oh my God, Nick, you're a ghost baby. So I literally was conceived probably in a haunted hotel. Um, so this is like a lifelong passion of mine. Um and we did used to live when we lived in Azel as kids. We had this like 
piece of land out in the country. And we saw all kinds of spooky shit in that house. Um, definitely saw like, like classic, like white ghosts at night. I also will say though, I had um, night terrors as a child. So I would also wake up in the middle of the night, tripping balls and hallucinating. Um, so like very spooky childhood vibes, but we also saw a lot of stuff at that particular house. But um, the ghost story I wanted to tell uh, me personally is that um, I used to have this apartment with my ex-boyfriend, um, a gorgeous little bay window unit with lots of natural light. I think you know which apartment I'm talking about, Shannon. I do. Um, but there was uh, one very upsetting quirk, uh, and that was that the bathroom was haunted as fuck. What do I mean by that? So exhibit A, it was the only room in the apartment with flickering lights. And that would, that would get very spooky at times um, because it wasn't just all the time or some of the times, it was at very specific times, almost like a form of communication. Um, did, did not care for that, did not care for that at all. But the really spooky thing, exhibit B, was that if you took a bath in the bathtub, there were times when you would literally feel stuck to the tub and unable to move or get up. Um, and the boyfriend in question also experienced this. Um, I experienced it several times. Um, and I was actually so afraid of this phenomenon that I would not like dunk my hair in the bathtub. Um, so if I was taking a bath, I would like rinse my hair with a cup like you would do for a small child. Um, I mean, because, that feels smart. Um, because something in that tub wanted to drown people. Um, and I really, to this day, I'm like, it, it was not the shape of the tub. It was not like a suction. It was literally like your whole body was like stuck to the tub. Someone drowned in that tub. So I, someone drowned in that tub. I'm convinced you cannot convince me otherwise. And yeah, so, I, but I wanted to kind of pass the mic metaphorically to you because we lived together in high school. Um, we've, we've mentioned that probably several times at this point on the podcast, but I actually lived in your childhood home for a couple of years towards the end of high school. That house was haunted as fuck. Take it away, Shannon. Uh, yeah, that house was haunted as fuck. Um, I mean, we're talking about standard stuff. Shadows, but also shadow people, which are particularly frightening. There was a lot of, like, really bad traumatic energy in that house. Mm -hmm. So things would go bump in the night. Things would be moved. We would have things literally where you would be, like, sitting in a chair next to the hallway, and you would just see shadows moving in the hallway next to you. You remember they go in and out of Leslie's room. Oh yeah. You could like see shadow people like walking back and forth. I mean, that house was just like, it also had this type of energy where you could just feel it like a weight on you, like how haunted that house was. But I, I mean, the, the more, I guess, active haunting stories I have are actually from the place that I lived in Sky Harbor for two, like a year and a half ish when I was in fifth grade. So um, I was like, 
kidnapped by my mom for a few months in in fifth grade, which we've talked about, I think like once or twice. And when we came back, we, it's like the only time in my childhood, I didn't live in that house off of Fall Creek. And we lived in this house off of um, Sagittarius Lane, which uh, fun times, but it was like, you would literally every night you could hear footsteps and they would like, they would go all the way from our bedroom at the back of the house down the hall and stop at the kitchen. It was very specific. And speaking of haunted bathrooms, at one point I was taking a shower and we had like a bunch of soap and stuff on the back of the cabinet, like near the sink. And literally everything got scraped onto the floor. My siblings were not home. My mother was on the other end of the house. So that happened. And then it started looking like someone was touching the shower curtain. I literally like butt ass naked jumped out of the shower and ran to the other end of the house. Like it was horrifying. Our toys would come on in the middle of the night. Like I had uh, a scooter, Samantha, and she would turn in circles in our bedroom. No, that's so so fucking scary. scary. That's so scary. But also... We are going to be talking about haunted dolls later, so... Oh my god, and you know Morgan had dolls. My my middle sister had so many dolls growing up, which are horrifying. But you hear all this, and you're like, Shannon, maybe you were just a crazy child. Um, you might think that, except for at one point, my grandparents ended up moving in when my mom left back to Dallas, and my papa, a grown-ass man, like, big buff, tatted-up motorcycle dude who was in the military is the reason we moved out of that house because he was like, this house is fucking haunted. Like it was so bad that like a dude in his forties, like a big dude was like, no, we cannot stay here anymore. Like we have to leave. This is like awful. Every night we're hearing noises. But the worst one that happened was at one point I was sitting in the room with my sister and her like childhood best friend, Victoria. And we had like twin size beds on either side of the room And my sister's bed, the foot of it was facing the closet and the closet door was open because we were like children and messy. And I shit you not, a clothes hanger flew out of the closet and hit the wall next to my sister's friend. Like we were all in there. We all watched it happen. There's no reason for a clothes hanger to fly out of a closet. Like you can't, you can't explain that away with a weird draft. (laughs) Like that just doesn't happen. Um, So that house was horrifying. I mean, Fall Creek was really a lot of shadow people, which are specifically disturbing to me. But then, of course, I've lived, I lived in the Langham out here, which was like, I lived in two apartments when I first moved to LA that were built in the 1920s. And so it was just like, you just heard shit. Like you would be walking around and you would hear shit. They actually filmed, um, oh gosh, there was some like, movie Annabelle do y'all know An- Annabelle the haunted like, we're, liter- we're literally talking about Annabelle later okay so, this so is they they filmed Annabelle in the basement of the Langham where I lived so like it has haunted vibes and I think Park La Brea has a lot of spiritual energy like because this place was built in the 40s we're also on top of tar pits and something about that feels so liminal to me because they're constantly finding like pieces of things from like millennia ago but here we are it's like this doorway to the past and this house the place i live in particular the townhouse i live in it doesn't feel like it's haunted we definitely have a house spirit 
she kind of has like fae energy to me but we we 100% have a house spirit that loves the cats and you'll sometimes like hear the cats like upstairs playing for no particular reason like jumping around in ways that like our cats don't do so I think this place has like a pretty active house spirit but she's like chill so you know we're I'm fine with her as long as she's fine with us I keep all of the iron like tools and stuff that I have in my bedroom because I don't want Faye in my bedroom. So, you know, that's like kind of my fail safe, but I have definitely lived in haunted places. So I'm here for ghost stuff. Like I a hundred percent am a believer. So yes, we are doing, we're doing ghost stuff. Um, and before we kind of get into the meat of the segment here, I wanted to at least briefly touch on like the more modern take on ghosts and hauntings kind of being that they're like imprints of energy left over from like especially emotional or traumatic events. Um, that does seem to ring true with like the hauntings at the Driscoll, where it's like you see the same figure doing the same thing kind of more or less at the same times of the day. So just kind of like endlessly <clears throat> repeating a scene. They yeah, they call them like residual hauntings as opposed to like intelligent spirits. Like residual hauntings feel like the most common. Like the the footsteps we would hear in the house on right, Saturday. Right. Like um and you know, but I was kind of thinking about that apartment and that boyfriend and some very very bad stuff happened to me in that apartment. Um including probably getting one of my ribs broken. Um and yeah, fuck that guy. Truly fuck that guy. But also, I'm like, I know that he did not do any kind of energy cleansing of any sort on the way out. And there is probably some very, very stinky energy in that apartment. So, um, you know, if you live in redacted apartments in redacted unit, and you're wondering who the crying twink is, it is me. So... <laughs> Yeah, I think that that's also why it's, like, important to cleanse new places that you're moving into. Cleanse yeah. them. Clean, cleanse them. Um, but it's spooky season. It's ghost time. And before I actually, actually dive in, um, I swear we're going to do it. But um, I just wanted to talk about a little bit of the terminology around ghosts and hauntings. So um, an apparition is sort of, like, the form that a ghost takes. So... Um, and sort of like the haunting is how they're interacting with um, the people and the space. Um, and then really, it's like we wanted to focus more on haunting ghosts, because actually for a lot of antiquity and prehistory, even um, ghosts are, I, I mean, it kind of goes back to the necromancy segment where ghosts are like, spirits that visit you in a dream and give you a prophecy or like advice about the future or like warn you about something it's like a christmas carol which yes a christmas carol um so yeah christmas carol really does go for like a lot of the classic ghost tropes but i mean to be perfectly fair like this is our podcast and i i feel like if we're doing a segment about ghosts, I want to talk about hauntings more than, like, prophecies being revealed in the Bible. It's more fun. It's more fun, and, like, also, like, more what I'm interested in about ghosts, truly. So, um, anyway, 
but we I make am the rules. We do make the rules. But I'm so, so, so pleased to tell everyone that I found some juicy Mesopotamian tablet content for all of my lovely witches out there. And That's hot. Big ups to the Smithsonian for having my back and giving me exactly what I was craving. When I simply Googled oldest ghost story. Um, now God it's bless me. the Smithsonian. It's honestly. it's it's me. So I was hoping for a Mesopotamian ghost story, but I didn't Google Mesopotamian ghost story because what I really wanted was um, hopefully verifiably the oldest ghost story. <clears throat> and we we actually didn't get that, but very interesting nonetheless. Um, so what I have found um, on the Smithsonian website is details from a 3,500-year-old Babylonian tablet, apparently with the instructions for unhaunting a house. So this is uh, an exorcism, if you will. Um, so not exactly the spooky, scary ghost story I was dreaming of, but uh, very exciting because of the implications. The implication, of course, being that there are cool Mesopotamian ghost stories out there that have simply been lost to time, but really fuels the imagination. So um, this is this is what it, I like, think. I have to say, like, unhaunting stuff, though, does make me think of one of my very favorite horror movies of all time, Poltergeist, with a, this house is clean. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> so that's exactly who I imagine is showing up to unhaunt your Mesopotamian house. Um, so while this is not the Mesopotamian haunting, um, a few key elements do pop up in this tablet and in the instructions for unhaunting your house. Um, that are really going to continue right down the line to modern ghost stories. Um, and the big one here is the unfinished business angle, because the instructions for unhaunting your house include performing a miniature version of the funerary rites. So basically, you know, um, there is a lot of lore in ghost stories from very, very early antiquity about ghosts being improperly buried. Um, this shows up in Egyptian folklore. This shows up in Greek and Roman folklore. Like this is really right down the line. And even, you know, in the hit 90s movie Casper, it is revealed that not everyone comes back as a ghost. You have to have unfinished business which is a key plot point in that movie. Um, because that's why the mom was not a ghost. Um, I mean, you know, it's also a key plot point in Beetlejuice. <laughs> right. So um, if you wanted to do an exorcism the Mesopotamian way, here are some hot tips. Uh, the procedure is relatively simple. You start with a pair of carved people, one male, one female. The two theories here are, um, one is that you can't quite be sure if your ghost is male or female. Um, or, so you want to have options for, you know, a little body for them to inhabit. Um, and also, people feel more comfortable going to the beyond with, like, a partner. 
so if you offer this doll of the opposite gender, they they kind of feel like they're going to the afterlife with someone, and that is often part of the unfinished business. Um, yeah, it's so like they, the buddy system. So it's like the buddy system. So like, you know, maybe if that's part of your unfinished business, like you might be tempted by the idea of like having um, a, a partner, right? But you lay out a lavish spread around these dolls, right? Lots of beer and fruits because everyone loves beer and fruits. So it's kind of a universal trap, right? So supposedly when the ghosts come to this banquet, the magic figurines suck in the, the spirit of the ghost. Um, trapping them inside the doll. So, uh, you know, 4,000 years ago, we're already dealing with haunted dolls. Annabelle, eat your fucking heart out. Um, and imagine finding one of those. I mean, you know, if you're just digging around in the desert and you find a Mesopotamian ghost burial, leave it there. I, that's always, like, mind-boggling to me when people are like, I found this, like, witch bottle or I found this, like statue that was like in her fucking like ritual it's like oh my god leave it there like what is wrong with people <laughs> right like don't open up the coffin full of spooky juice I, yeah i was watching a ghost show and like because i love ghost hunting tv which we'll talk about but they had like these people had a super haunted house but they had a fucking like coffin with a real skeleton in it in their house and i was like um okay well we solved it <laughs> two seconds in. Two seconds in. We we figured it out. Um, which actually I did hear a story when I was doing the research for this about someone who buys like reliquaries and bones and stuff, uh, as sort of as a hobby. And that was how they had their ghost experience because one of the owners of the bones had started visiting them in, in their dreams kind of in the truly classical ghost way of like not really haunting your house, but haunting your dreams instead. Um, but so now you've got the ghosts trapped in the dolls, right? And you perform the burial rites so that Shamish, the god of the underworld, can come and lead them down into the netherworld before the sun rises. So this is happening overnight. Um, after sunset and before the sun rises. Very important that you do it at night because that is how you're gonna trap uh, the ghost. Um, and then it ends this tablet uh, with very cryptic instructions, don't look back. And which could mean that the exorcist is not allowed to look back after finishing the, the exorcism, or it might be sort of instructions that you're supposed to give the dolls when you bury them. Um, so that they do not look back from the underworld. But there is a lot of, like, lore from this time. I mean, think about, like, Lot's wife in the Bible, like, looking back and turning into a pillar of salt. Um, I think you're muted. I was, yeah. Sorry. People were, like, really nervous about looking behind you for a minute. Yeah, there's a lot of superstition around looking behind you, especially at certain crucial moments, so. Yeah, it's like there's a reason you throw salt over your shoulder, too. You don't turn around and toss the salt it's, over your shoulder. Yeah, over your shoulder. Um, so, 
we've got the unfinished business. We've got apparitions. We have a spooky late night seance. We've even got haunted dolls. Truly a little gold mine uh, about some very, very old haunting. Um, so I, I thought it was worth a visit. Um, and But since we're focusing on ghosts that haunt, uh, I thought it would be fun to look at another really, really old ghost story, especially because it's one that mirrors a lot of our modern lore about ghosts and haunting. Um, and I am embellishing it just a little bit because it comes to us from Pliny the Younger. It's very cut and dry. So nothing crazy, just a little atmosphere. Okay, so the following happens in the first century BC in the height of the Roman Empire. And we have this guy, Athenodorus Canonides, who is a notable philosopher of his day and was even published and successful in his lifetime. Uh, and it happens that he was looking for a house, a retreat even, where he could write his philosophical treatises in peace. And he finds a domus for a suspiciously incredible price right in the heart of Athens, which is where all the cool philosophers hang out. Um, and it's already sounding a bit like a horror movie. So it's like this deal that's too good to be true. It's like the Amityville horror. It's like, why is this beautiful house such a good price? Yeah, it's like, if it feels too good to be true, y'all, it is. Right. Um, and so the rumor is that the house is haunted. And that's why the price is in the bargain basement. But Athenodorus is a logical thinker, and he does have this curiosity about the natural and supernatural world, so he snatches it up because he's like, I'm gonna fuck around so I can find out. Like, are ghosts real? What's going on? Um, but it's almost like this um, kind of hubris moment, too, where he's like, ghosts are probably not real, I'm a philosopher, like, I'm far too educated to really fall for that one. Famous last words. And I'm going to move into this house because it's a great deal, right? So he sets up shop and immediately is noticing that at night when he's in his study, he can hear these sounds of, like, chains rattling and being dragged along the floor, and, um, you know, okay, it's kind of like, what's more ghostly than rattling chains? It, no, rattling chains are a huge part of the soundtrack of ghosts, the soundtrack of ghosts, but also like all of these really old ghost stories that are kind of going back. Well, I don't want to give it away. We're going to talk about chains later. Okay. So he's, here's these chains rattling, dragging along the floor. And this is not the peaceful writing retreat that he needed and he is becoming quite annoyed and frantic about the situation and so one night the rattling and the chain dragging are like louder and more realistic than ever before and his heart Athenodorus is paralyzed with fear because he sees a shadowy figure cross in front of his chamber door and he bravely decides to get to the bottom of this like scooby-doo style and to sort of creep along behind the ghost and see where he's going right um which ultimately leads him to a small courtyard in the house where the apparition then disappears into a mist in the moonlight 
Um, all well and good. But what happens next? So, and this, I think, is really giving, like, Winona in Stranger Things vibes. Like, putting up the Christmas lights. Like, it's like, how did we get from A to B? You know, like, you see the ghost in the courtyard, and so apparently the answer is we're going to dig up the courtyard. Um, There's and something like, insane about it. Like, yeah, it's like the jumps that these folks make in how to deal with the ghosts is um, interesting. <laughs> it's in it's, it is very interesting, to say the least. But um, I, I'm also kind of getting telltale heart vibes because it's like, he's like, I'm going to dig up this whole courtyard. Yeah, and like, I have to find the thing. I have to find the thing. Um, so, but then he excavates the courtyard and he finds the body of an old slave still in his shackles, which is an inappropriate way to bury someone. Uh, like, even if they are a slave, you don't bury someone in shackles. Yeah, it's like, hi, do you want your house to be haunted? Bury someone in shackles. Yeah, exactly. Um, but so, Athenodorus removes the shackles and gives the man a proper burial, and poof, the house is haunted no more. So spooky. So spooky. But the thing that really does kind of go right down the line. Now, keeping in mind, this is the first century BC. This is really one of the first complete stories of a haunting. And this is um, written by a historian. So this is not strictly a piece of folklore. Um, but you do kind of see this blueprint for a haunting and a ghost kind of go through history uh, in other ghost stories. Um, the, with the clanking chains, the clank. I mean, even in a Christmas Carol, one of the ghosts is clanky, clanky chains. Um, but we do have to jump a little bit in time because we cannot have this take forever, forever. Um, so we got to look at Germany in the late Middle Ages. Uh, a new kind of ghost just dropped: a poltergeist. Um, poltergeist. Uh, geist meaning ghost or spirit. Um, polter meaning like noisy or loud. So basically like a a loud spirit. Um, these haunt in physical ways. So Athenodora sees an apparition, but it's not really the haunting that we think of um, with levitating objects and, you know, mirrors breaking and all of that kind of stuff that really, really makes a haunting very spooky. Um, that's a poltergeist. So they can move stuff. They can talk. The thing with original poltergeist lore, though, is that they are typically haunting a specific person or family. Um, so this is kind of like a revenge ghost and it's not like it's not haunting your house it's haunting you so wherever you go this spirit is following you and causing trouble and you know it, it really seems to be like a revenge based kind of haunting um with poltergeists but poltergeists really add that that element of like being able to like interact with 
with the physical world and like move stuff and like push and pull and um so we're adding another layer to like what a ghost is right um but then I also wanted to talk about like Victorian ghost stories because once we have you know sort of this like gothic revival era where people are are loving spooky shit again like and you do kind of have to give it up to people as well like the little ice age happened in sort of like the late middle ages sort of early enlightenment era like you know like Frankenstein was famously written during one of those like summers where it snowed in like June you know and it was like cold and rainy all year long for a very long time and so people were in a very spooky kind of way and it um it did become a thing by the Victorian era that people were telling ghost stories at Christmas time which truly like Hey, Yule. <laughs> right, like, hey, Yule. Um, but the Christmas Carol, you kind of got to talk about the Christmas Carol because, like, it really is an inclusion of so many of the classical ghost motifs. So you have this warning. A lot of the ghosts in Middle Ages were sort of like, they come from purgatory, to warn people to repent or else lest they also end up in purgatory right so you have like Ebenezer Scrooge kind of being warned against his greedy ways um so that's like one trope but then you also have like the clanky chains ghost right um and yeah so love that like a christmas carol is a ghost story and it's like one of the most beloved pieces of christmas like yeah story storytelling obviously a christmas carol muppets iconic but i also have to like put in a plug for a christmas carol the episode of doctor who which is one of the few episodes of doctor who that made me like weep but like it's also such an interesting like take on a christmas carol no really and i I will say there are a few episodes of Doctor Who that absolutely make me weep as well. Um, but the, the Christmas Carol is like this classic example, but also truly like the fact that the Victorians were like literally sitting around telling the scariest ghost stories they could think of <laughs> around the Yule Log is yeah, just something. Like Penny Dreadfuls were a thing at right. this time. The show right. Penny Dreadful. Also, I was, like, talking to Nick about it when we were talking about this episode. I'm, like, go down a rabbit hole on the internet of looking at, like, early Victorian-era photography of seances and stuff with, like, spiritualism. It's such a fascinating historical photography, like, rabbit hole to get into. Oh, it absolutely is, which does bring me to another thing that I found while doing my research for this that really kind of blew my mind when I was kind of looking into like the spiritism and spiritualism movements of the late 1800s, early 1900s, I found out that Marie Curie, Nobel Prize winner for discovering radiation, 
among many other things, um, was a ghost hunter and went to lots and lots of seances and like actively participated in ghost hunting in her lifetime. Yeah. I also like want to plug um, Thomas Edison also believed in ghosts. Like some of the stuff with like early telephones was about trying to communicate with spirits, which I really love. And also the Hertz, the guy who like discovered sound waves also believed in ghosts. So it's like, this isn't just a woo thing, y'all. It almost is like the more intelligent someone is, the more open they become to the idea of ghosts. Well, and I also think it kind of goes back to Athenodorus even being this philosopher and kind of being like, we can't prove it. We can't disprove it. But like, I'm interested to find out for myself yeah what what's going on and I think you know it's like with Marie Curie it's like you obviously have someone who is very very curious about the natural world and sort of unseen forces like radiation is absolutely an unseen and very powerful force but people could not explain until like the turn of the fucking 20th century yeah I mean it's like and even in modern times I, I forget the name of it but there's basically this stuff that's like oh it's dark matter like, fucking dark matter makes up the vast majority of the universe, and we don't, we can't explain it. It's ghosts. How are ghosts, like, even, how are ghosts weirder than science? They're not. They're not. They're not. Exactly. Um, but, so, speaking of, like, notable people kind of getting on the hunt for ghosts... And I know this has been covered ad nauseum, but this is our segment about ghosts. And I think one of my favorite haunting stories that I have come across it, sort of in the last year is the Bell Witch. Yeah, the Bell Witch is fascinating. The Bell Witch is absolutely fascinating. And so with that one, you have so many like good classic ghosty elements to the story. Um, you have very strong apparitions which actually the Bell Witch supposedly appeared to different people as different things. So like to a stable hand, the Bell Witch was this big black dog. To the little daughter Betsy um, was this like old woman, um, you know. So yeah. it's like different people saw different things. And I think different people saw what was going to scare them the most. Yeah, I feel like it's such a good example of an intelligent haunting versus a residual haunting right yeah. see and then you also have this like spirit communicating like through this little girl and like through this psychic medium sort of um describing like two so the story goes it was like two different sermons that were 13 miles away at the exact same time and then the ghost like recited both of them uh word for word but here, here's where it gets really crazy, right? So they're having all of this fucking phenomenally ghosty shit happen. It's confirmed by the neighbors. It's confirmed by the townspeople. Like, it's not just the family. It's not just their immediate circle. Like, people are showing up. People are experiencing this phenomenon called the Bell Witch. Yeah, people are, like, coming to try and debunk it and then experiencing it and freaking the fuck out. And freaking the fuck out. So cut to Andrew Jackson. 
the guy from the $20 bill. You might have he heard w- of him. <laughs> because he later went on to become President Andrew Jackson. Um, not that that really means anything, but, you know, one of the most educated people in his time slash place. Yeah, um, one of the biggest son of a bitches in history. Right. Uh, so, you know, he's out there. And at the time, he was in the army. And, uh, you know, friend of a friend was one of the people who, you know, in the Bell family, one of the one of the brothers even, like, had served under him, I think is the story. And Andrew Jackson shows up because he's like, this is big if true. <laughs> I feel and, like, yeah, big if true is the moral of the Bell Witch story. Um, so... Andrew Jackson shows up with, like, a regiment of U.S. soldiers, um, and their carriage gets stopped. Like, and they, the horse will not go, it will not budge an inch any further. And then they hear the voice of the Bell Witch being like, all right, I will allow you in. Like, I, I ultimately am the one deciding whether or not you can come. She's a bouncer. She's being a bouncer, but also, like, such an upfront show of, like, power. Because, the like, this whole carriage, like, the horses will not... It's like there's an invisible wall. They cannot go past until the voice of the Bell Witch is like, hey, just so you know, I'm letting you in. And that really is such a power move. Yeah, so that's some big dick energy for sure. So they go... And, you know, they're having their little seance with the Bell Witch. And this sort of scandalous piece of information about one of the uh, soldiers comes out. And, you know, it comes out to be true. Basically, one of the soldiers had committed, like, a petty crime. And this is sort of the proof that the Bell the Bell Witch is providing proof that they are this spirit and can kind of see beyond and have this um sort of hidden knowledge right so pretty much everyone at this point is like we want to fucking leave because the ghost is like and if you stay for another night i'll reveal something really really big like a really big scandal um and andrew jackson's like wait 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 i'm interested to find out um and so they because he's the ex- a little gossip and he just wants to know. Well, also, you know, it's like he's the leader of these men. Like, uh, you know, she's promising like a real scandal or like a real, um, you know, like s- secret coming forward. Um, so it's almost kind of helpful in a way. But but yeah, so ultimately, like the information coming from this like disembodied voice ends up being true. And so Andrew Jackson, who later becomes president, leaves completely convinced that this is a real phenomenon, Um, which is what I think is the cool story about the Bell Witch. Like the fact that like such a prominent historical figure was there and was like, yeah, that really happened. Um, Yeah, it's not just like kooky folks, like. Right. It's big people. Big people. Um, but then I did want to talk about 
and this one's a little goofy. This one's just a little, a little goof, a little goof. Um, and this one comes to us from the 1930s, and it's Jeff the Talking Mongoose. Uh, can I can I read a quote I pulled up from Jeff because this is one of my favorite dumb ghost stories? Yes, uh, please. Alleged words by Jeff. I am a freak. I have hands and I have feet. And if you saw me, you'd faint. You'd be petrified, mummified, turned into stone or a pillar of salt. Coming from a little, like, talking mongoose. A little talking mongoose. So this comes to us from the Isle of Man in the 1930s. And apparently one day a mongoose just started talking and saying all kinds of wacky shit. Um, and we love that. Like, Jeff the talking mongoose yeah. never, never change. He, like, always referred to himself as an extra clever mongoose. So he was also very humble. Very <laughs> humble. Uh, n- uh, number one most humble of all time. <laughs> um, but I did want to talk, I mean, since this has run so long, and I, there's definitely going to be a Ghosts Part 2, where we just talk about some other different hauntings from history and, you know, some cool mythological ghost stories. Like, this was really just, like, a pick and mix, you know, like, of just stuff that I thought was interesting. And then I was like, oh, this is like an hour long segment. So, but some modern ghosts, so like my favorite modern ghost story is the one where it's like the bus that got hit by a train. And then if you like park your car on the train tracks and like put baby powder on the bumper, like little hands will like, little invisible hands like push you yeah. off the train tracks. I always, I love that story. Like, little ghost lore like that is is so much fun. It's like every town has haunted train tracks. Every town has haunted train tracks. Um, but then also, just like, the batshit amount of, like, old farmhouses in Texas, I have always thought to be especially scary. But I remember uh, a story that okay it's not even a story it's like we saw this shit but there used to be on the drive to this house we lived at in Azel, the one where we saw all the ghosts okay like this old fucking farmhouse like a cabin basically and there are a lot of those like scattered around um texas and louisiana just like dilapidated old cabins right but we saw like a candle in the window of one one time. And it's like, maybe someone was squatting in there. Certainly not the most common thing in that part of the world. Um, no. But it's like, who who had their little lantern on in there? Yeah, spooky. I mean, uh, we had, and I guess this is my my last story I'll share. My cousin at the time was like six, Ivy. And she was sitting in the back of the car and suddenly just starts talking. And she's like, oh, Kira, like, why are you crying? It's okay. Oh, Kira, you have so much blood on you. Like, we're all in the car while she's talking to a bloody ghost. And it was like, because she was old enough that, like, it it was weird for her to be talking nonsense at thin air. But she was young enough that it was like, uh, what are you seeing that we can't see? Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was, like, so fucking scary. So it was, like, night and raining, and my entire family's in the fucking car. And she's like, it was 
the 90s and early 2000s were a different time. So we were in a hatchback and she was sitting in the back. It's also right. small town Texas. Like things were different there. So like we're all in the seats and she's like in the back talking to this ghost, like sitting up, looking across from her as if there's a person there. And it's like still one of the scariest things my family talks about. Well, and I, I'm going to throw one on here and this, I'm not going to like spoil anything for next week but like I was doing research about a particular witch from a particular region of Greece um for my segment in next week's episode and while I was doing it uh, I did mention to you that I uh I believe the quote is this bitch is reaching to me across time yeah because when I was like pulling up her articles and stuff and I actually found this particular witch um during my thing with necromancy because uh it is the same region here's the spoiler it is the same region of Greece that a, the Arikthel is from um a lot of witches from there but literally when I started reading the article my lights were flickering in my bathroom and Faye was kind of freaking out Ah, I'm so excited. But I'm I so also excited. but I also realized that this is one of the that this region is already was already a place that I was like maybe thinking about going while I'm in Greece next year. I cannot wait. I mean, we're gonna have to do some travel episodes because guys, Eric and I like I watch a lot of ghost hunting television. Um, paranormal caught on camera is one of my favorite goofy ones, but also Portals to Hell, which is such a horrible name, but the show is fantastic. And in the last season, they visited a haunted hotel in Marfa that we're planning to stay in when we're doing our road trip back to Texas. Like we're trying to find several haunted hotels to stay in. So we're gonna, I'm gonna have to record some stuff because guys, I am like so stoked. I'm so excited. This is why white people die in horror movies. Um, <laughs> but before we end, I think we should do some asks because this is yeah, a long Yeah, this is a long one. And hey, you guys, it takes a lot of work to make these longer episodes because- It does. I have to it spend does. a lot of money just on the coffee to keep this podcast going. It's important. It's very important. And I have to say, I'm like pulling up. We have- Two new Patreon people, Sonia and Owen. Welcome to the Patreon. Welcome to the Patreon, Sonia and Owen. Shout out to you guys. Um, we're so happy to have you. So for as little as $5 a month, you get to see videos of us, which we do a lot of show and tell. Um, welcome to our boudoirs. We also do like bonus episodes. Nick just did like a great bonus episode on like cryptids, which I think was a lot of fun. With with friend of the podcast, Eve, who is in on speaking of ghosts, Eve is also the the witch that I did the haunted house episode for Patreon with. And if you're not on the Patreon, you don't get to see cool people like Eve or Shannon, the other Shannon. The other Shannon, who we did a great interview with. And it's like, you also get the episodes a little early and they're unedited because believe it or not, 
we do i edit this podcast which is another thing that takes time and it costs money like it's it costs money every month for us to keep the software that we use for um editing the podcast but like the patreon episodes are a little more unedited a little more unhinged depending on the week so i think it's lots of fun it's patreon.com slash pod you can also email us wandsandfrondspod at gmail.com and our Instagram is at Wands and Franz Pod. Nick, I think, is a lot more active in the messages there. I pop in once in a while, but like really it's a great way if you want to like have a direct line to us, like Instagram or Gmail. If you're on Instagram and you're specifically trying to ask one of us a question, just let us know because like you kind of never know who you're gonna get. I'm sure if you talk to us for a while, eventually you'll know which one of oh, us it yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. No, I I do think it's funny reading some of our threads with people because we each have a very distinct writing voice. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's fun. It is fun. But all of that to say, if you can't join the Patreon. There are some ways that you can help out. You can give us five stars. You can leave a review. Um, you can download the episodes, which actually really does go a long way towards helping us um, get good metrics. You know, it's like we know people listen, but Spotify doesn't care about that. Yeah, they only care if you download it. They don't care about streams, which I know is annoying, but like download it listen to it, delete it afterwards. Also, right. you can download them if you're going on a like trip and you're going to be on a plane for a while, download them so you can yeah. listen to them offline. You know, I, di I didn't end up needing it, but when I went on my camping trip, I had all of my favorite podcasts downloaded and ready to go. So I had a little something to listen to when I was going to sleep or, you know, if I was going on a little walk by myself. So yeah. you guys, give us a little download and also leave a review. This podcast is good. There, I wrote it for you. Um, if you leave a review that says this podcast is good, I'm still out here. Like, if it happens, um, I'll do a little tarot reading for you. Yeah, one, I mean, you, little one card pull. If you're on our Patreon and you want to leave a podcast review that's like Nick and Shannon are both geniuses and very attractive, we would also be open to that mm, type of commentary. I do, I do love that so yeah that's good this podcast is good um yeah and i think i think that's enough asking i think so i mean that's i i have to say guys we really love y'all um we're super happy to like do this podcast i think that the people we've met have been really fun so we're asking this because we love the community and we want to be able to do this and like Eventually, it'd be nice if it didn't, like, end up net costing us money to make this every month. So, all that said, I decided today that instead of pulling an Astro card, I was going to just do it for Aries. Because, obviously, Nicholas is my soulmate, my best friend forever. Um, thank God my husband is okay with sharing me. <laughs> <laughs> but I was at a party last night with, like, some friends and found out that, like, this woman who I also have just, like, really loved without, like, we don't know each other super well, but I just instinctually loved her. She is an Aries. And so I was like, man, I just love Aries. It's like the Leo in me just, like, loves that fieriness. But I wanted the first tarot pool ever with this deck to also be for people that I love. And I have to say... Um, it's a Hocus Pocus tarot deck. So if you're on the Patreon, you can see the image. 
of the front of this. And look, I know it's Disney. I know it's gimmicky. Let people enjoy things. But it's fun. It's fucking fun. No, this isn't ever going to be my main tarot deck that I work with seriously, but I have a lot of tarot decks. Sometimes they're fun. So for you, my Aryan babies, I have drawn the two of pumpkins, which is a super cute card. And it correlates to the two of pentacles. And this one, I feel like is such a good message for Aries, especially as we're getting into the fall, because this is a card about balance. Okay. So Aries babies, your beautiful fiery spirits, y'all take on a lot. You love doing a lot of things. And right now the balance is probably like working out pretty good, but remember that it's a razor thin line, right? Like when you're trying to balance things like work, personal life, getting your hobbies done, sometimes rest is productive. I'm going to remind you little energizer bunnies that like rest is important. But I think this is also, especially as we're going into like the dark half of the year soon, it's a good time also to like reevaluate your priorities and make sure that like all the shit you're doing that keeps you like constantly moving is actually like leading you towards like the type of life that you want to build. You don't have to be super busy to be productive, but I know that that's not going to matter for you little babies. So just remember, rest is productive. Things might be balanced right now, but it's really easy to get out of whack. So just like keep an eye on it, take care of yourself and evaluate all of the shit that you're constantly doing to make sure it's leading you where you want to go. So that's what I have for y'all today. And I, I love that. I absolutely needed to hear that. And what I will add to that is that there is a reason that Aries and Libra uh, are in opposition to each other. Yeah. So um, sometimes it's good to have a little reminder. Also, um, sounds to me like it's, and I actually, you know, I'll just say this, I can like kind of live respond to this as an Aries. Um, you know, like seasonal depression is a thing for me. Things do really get out of balance in my life this time of year. And um, one of the ways that I try to um, lean into that in the fall is like, um, you know, like making soup and like trying to like make more food at home because like I do spend a lot of t- a lot of the summer out and about um, and it's like it's home time now. So it's kind of like it is sort of a shift in priorities a little bit. Yeah. And it's healthy and it's good for you. And like just in your priorities can change, right? It's like seasonally they can shift even from week to week. So just like give yourself that flexibility. I know that Aries, you're not, you don't tend to be quite as rigid as some of the earth signs, but I do know that like a lot of Aries I know also have like the way that they imagine things going, right? Like you're a very mm-hmm. idealistic people. Oh yeah. And so it's okay to like flex what things look like. Right, right, right. <laughs> But yeah, definitely um, very, very apropos. Um, all right. Yeah. So, well, well, what do we say to all the spooky ghost bitches out there? Oh my God. To you spooky ghost bitches. We love you. And blessed be bitches. Blessed boo bitches. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye now.
glad that you found it though. Cause I was like, I know I have listened to a story maybe on a podcast about a talking, <clears throat> well, I guess mongoose, which are weasel like, I guess. They're, they're in the weasel family. Yeah. Mongooses yeah. and ferrets and weasels. They're cousins. 